Welcome to the Red Med Podcast, Rescue, Expedition and Disaster Medicine, where we provide a platform for healthcare professionals working in or aspiring to join rescue, expedition and disaster response teams, a platform to share information, advice and opportunities and connect like-minded Red Med individuals in our community. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 24 of the Red Med Podcast, Rescue, Expedition and Disaster Medicine. As usual, the podcast is sponsored by SOS Coffee, coffee which we use to provide free CPR and bleeding control courses across the Guatemalan community. I'm Chris Gibson, and it's great to be back on the podcast after such a long break. Um, I've been away climbing Mount Orizaba, or Pico de Orizaba in Mexico, and uh, teaching mountain medicine courses in Mexico, and just returned from an expedition to the Atacama Desert and climbing the Andes Mountains of Chile, so... Fantastic period, uh, met some excellent, fantastic, like-minded people and uh, good to be back at the desk eventually. So uh, today I thought we'd take a look at some key points regarding telemedicine. This became became quite a useful tool both in Mexico and Chile. Uh, I just thought I'd put it into context and look at some of the key elements and some of the common terminology that you might come across. So during the recent Overland Expedition, um, I went across the world's driest desert, the Atacama Desert, and then subsequently climbed up on the uh, the highest volcano in the world, Ojos de Salado as a team medic. And uh, the responsibilities were far more than everyday medicine from primary care and emergency support. I was involved in pre-deployment screening of participants, development of the ascent profile to mitigate acute mountain sickness, Participant training, everything from the layer system, camp routine, how to use uh, plastic boots, how to navigate cold injury prevention, uh, development of the medical emergency response plan, communications planning, camp safety. Uh, We found scorpions around the camp in the desert initially, so education of participants, all the way through to food safety, health and hygiene inspections, training the chefs, daily sick call, vital signs checks to identify trends and manage the ascent profile. Uh, And then primary care, daily sick call, emergency care, coordination of evacuations, resupplies. Busy time, really. Really, really interesting, but it's certainly a broad scope of responsibilities. So everything from tonsillitis, Kinsey, rashes, hypertension, hypoglycemia, all the way through to subungal hematoma, hematoma, acute mountain sickness and even some cases of pulmonary edema fortunately not on our team though so interesting times Uh, we had a a climber brazilian climber from another expedition presented our base camp at three o'clock in the morning with unilateral chest pain and difficulty breathing upon further assessment uh, it was noted that she had just returned from altitude just returned from twenty thousand feet her spo2 dropped from the previous weeks at 88% down to 72%. Complained of difficulty breathing, persistent dry cough, uh, later productive cough, fatigue, tachycardia, and then rails upon auscultation. 
So I did a, an ultrasound at base camp uh, and then found bee lines, presence of bee lines or uh, pulmonary edema, uh, more predominant in one side than the other. And she was diagnosed with high altitude pulmonary edema, immediately given oxygen, nifedipine, and then evacuated down from five and a half thousand metres down to three thousand metres and off to the city and back home where she, she made a re full recovery before flying. So interesting times managed with uh, technology, with the use of POCUS to prevent somebody going higher, prevent her going for the summit attempt the following day and uh, probably prevented something far more serious. But interesting. So uh, from primary to emergency care, foot care, food safety, critical care, wilderness medicine, it's a really broad skill set as an expedition medicine, both in the desert, expedition medic, both in the desert and high altitude mountain. We need to be a jack of all trades, really. Um, not many of us are masters of all of them, but we certainly need to be a jack of all trades. Uh, and quite often we hit brick walls. We, we get to the limit of our knowledge or perhaps we haven't seen certain conditions for a long time or... And it's nice to get a second opinion. It's nice to speak to a specialist, get some guidance, get a, a virtual hand on the shoulder to say things are okay, you're doing it right. Or maybe you need some guidance to change a dose if it's outside the scope of your practice or to have a mentor guide you through an unfamiliar intervention. But reaching back is, uh, is really useful. So telemedicine is definitely the answer. I think it's more and more common these days, not just on expeditions, but also in urban areas. Uh, very, very important to have that reach back, sometimes known as topside reach back telemedicine, where you can consult with a specialist physician from a distance on a variety of communications platforms. But quite often on expeds, whether it's jungle, desert, overland, extreme high altitude, communications can be extremely challenging. So we'll have a look at some of the platforms available, but before we do, I just want to cover some of the some of the common terms you might come across and some of the different systems. So the first one is asynchronous telemedicine. Asynchronous is essentially offline, offline telemedicine, where you're not in direct live contact with the physician. So you may send a message and that response might be delayed. So you might send a message by email, text message, WhatsApp. There's a multitude of platforms where you can send a message sometimes with images of ECGs, ultrasounds, lab results. And then the medical director or specialist physician may review it and get back to you. The time scale of their response is really going to depend on the system that's supporting you as the medic and any pre-agreed timescales. So if the physician has got a day job and it's an informal relationship, your response might be delayed until they finish with the current patient. Whereas with your, if you're supported by a more formal system with a 24-7 operations room and an on-call physician, you might expect a response within minutes. You might even get a live call back. By having an agreed template, a pre-approved, cascaded and trained template, the information can be transmitted in a concise manner, allowing the rapid translation rapid interpretation of the data and a rapid response rather than, as I have the tendency to, rather than waffling and going around in circles, then playing email tennis, which is going to waste time, waste money 
Uh, and essentially, you might not be able to establish communications again if there's an issue with the location, communications, batteries, satellite signals. So if information can be sent in a short, concise, clear manner and the reply coming back, hopefully, will be concise and useful. So that's asynchronous. Uh, you send a message in a predetermined format and the physician, when available, will send you an answer back, whether it be giving you a differential diagnosis, a treatment plan, or suggesting alternatives. Then we've got synchronous telemedicine, which is generally live, online, two-way telemedicine, telemedicine system that permits the on-the-ground medic to speak to the doc, whether that's by a standard cell phone, smartphone, satellite telephone, could be a voice call, video call, um, the gold standard would be to have a, a multi-screen video call providing the doc with live access to see the patient, look at the ultrasound screen, look at the electrocardiogram, look at the cardiac rhythm, etc. Um, so options. Options to link into asynchronous or synchronous telemedicine might include a radio. Could be point-to-point, -point, could be VHF, UHF, um, HF, you could have a radio, issues with the radios, distance limitations, connection, uh, but also security. Generally, they're going to be open. Very rare are uh, you going to have um, secure radio comms unless you're working for the military. So the, uh, the translation or the transmission of that information is generally insecure, making it not ideal for use in the medical sphere. Telephone. There is greater coverage every day across the planet uh, of a standard telephone signal. So you might be able to use your smartphone or a local telephone to call the local doc or the international supervising medical director, providing you've got international roaming, credit, prepaid contracts. Uh, and if there's internet data, you may be able to send reports, images, even videos. Satellite telephones, still costly. Price is coming down. They're more accessible, but they're still costly. Uh, connections will vary where you are in the world. You need a clear sky generally. Don't often work in steep-sided canyons and you generally need clear skies. Often we'll provide voice calls. We'll give you the facility to send an SOS and to send grid coordinates. Some of them will allow you to send small data packages, images, but generally not. So you've got several satellite phone providers these days um, there's a few basics we'll cover now Inmarsat is one of the most popular that gives us generally global coverage full global coverage excluding the poles I've used Inmarsat to very very good effect in both the Americas Africa and the Middle East good connection um, reasonable pricing plans uh, but yeah generally where we operate it's going to give you good coverage apart from the poles Iridium is another excellent platform that I've used to good effect. That gives you excellent full global coverage given their enhanced satellite network and excellent call quality. Thuraya, another good system, but based in the Middle East and does not cover the Americas, North or South, predominantly just the Middle East uh, and Asia. Global Star, that gives you good coverage across the USA, Canada and the Caribbean. Its reach is expanding across the globe, 
but doesn't include parts of uh, the southern tip of South America, the poles, Africa, and small parts of Southeast Asia. So it's really important to check your provider and their coverage map before buying a satellite phone. You've then got the inReach device or the inReach Mini, which fantastic small device, about two inches, clips on your belt, onto your rucksack. Uh, that allows a multitude of functions on expedition. It allows an operations room or your wife or teammates to track you. They can log into the map and follow your progress. You can send grid coordinates. It's got an SOS function, predetermined messages, and allows you to connect to your own cell phone um, so you can send and receive text messages constantly. Really great piece of equipment. I think the larger inReach allows you to use mapping as well. Then you've got the Iridium Go, uh, round about four to five inches in size, pocket size device, slightly bigger than the uh, inReach Mini, but a fantastic range of functions. It's also got tracking, SOS function, GPS, allows you to connect onto social media, onto Twitter. But the best thing about this device is once you put the antenna up and connect, it serves as a satellite Wi-Fi hub giving you satellite Wi-Fi in a 30-meter radius around the device, allowing you to connect to the Iridium platform and send email and compressed photographs via email, which is perfect to send things like ECGs or ultrasound snapshots back to a medical director. And it can also convert your own cell phone into a satellite phone for voice calls. So I've used that to great effect in uh, Guatemalan jungle, Mexico and, uh, and the Andes. Brilliant, great piece of kit for medical direction and general safety. Then you've got the spot tracker, various generations of this now, uh, which allows device tracking, SOS, and depending on the device, if it's the old generation, it only allows outgoing messages, predetermined messages. But the newer devices allow custom messages, check-ins, tracking, uh, and then the, uh, the Spot X allows two-way messaging. It's almost got global coverage, minus the poles, a very thin central belt of Africa, and then parts of uh, Central Asia, but generally a great device. And the new SpotX given two-way messaging uh, just in enhances the flexibility of the device. Really great. So they're all lightweight, fairly cost-effective, um, and very, very useful for lightweight expeditions through the rainforest high arctic, um, high mountain operations. If you're on a, a vehicle-borne overland expedition or you're located at a base camp and you've got the option to use porters or vehicles to carry the equipment, you may opt for a larger device which gives you a, a faster speed, faster data connection uh, and they can send larger photographs or even videos if you want to go top of the range, there's the, the Tempus device, which is great for base camps. Uh, they even have them on planes these days. So there's a, the base model comes with a range of add-ons, which allows the remote medic and even airline crews to talk to the medical director, have online medical direction, send vital signs, even transmit live ECGs and ultrasound images. You obviously pay for what you get and get what you pay for. So, um, yeah. So individuals and companies, you might want to review the information, your own security policies, 
and insurance policies to determine how you can incorporate telemedicine into your current system. There's definitely data considerations, data security and, and patient confidentiality considerations. There's definitely insurance policy um, considerations, particularly in the US. But that's an issue we face on, on operations and uh, expeditions anyway in remote areas. So check your medical malpractice and liability insurance to ensure that it covers the use of telemedicine. Then, how do we charge it? How are we going to charge these devices? They're generally quite good. They've got a good battery life. They vary from device to device, but uh, obviously cold weather will sap that battery and reduce the life very quickly. So you can use solar panels via USBs or even plug them into vehicle inverters, whether it be from a 12-volt cigarette charger or linked direct to the battery. You can even get solar chargers that trickle charge a large lithium battery and provide 110 or 220 ports to charge larger devices. Your charging system will really depend on whether you're vehicle-borne, if you've got porters, if you go in lightweight, self-sufficient. Um, but I think these days, everybody with a, a satellite phone or a satellite Wi-Fi hub should have some sort of lightweight solar charger or spare battery pack. So during the recent expedition to Chile, we had a range of systems. We had various satellite chargers. We had InReach. We had Iridium Go. One of the guys had a spot tracker. Uh, pros and cons of all of them. But I would definitely suggest you try and loan one or rent one to test it in your particular sphere uh, before investing and buying one. Um, I think the InReach is absolutely fantastic. But I particularly like the Iridium Go, albeit slightly bigger and heavier than the InReach Mini. Um, and you have to put the antenna up to connect it to your phone to allow those text messages. But it definitely had the added bonus and benefit of being able to send photographs via email back to medical direction. Whereas the InReach was more flexible, stayed connected to the cell phone, allowing constant text messages. So they've all got their pros and cons. Um, very, very similar in their capabilities, but test them before you buy. That would be the message, and certainly look at the coverage map before you invest. So telemedicine's commonplace all over the world now, not just on expeditions. It's used in urban services, and particularly in Latin America, it's becoming more popular. So patients can avoid traffic, and in this day and age, with the current global situation, it allows patients to avoid public transport, and busy hospital and clinic waiting rooms, which may contribute to the reduction of propagation of infectious diseases such as COVID-19. Um, we've literally just scraped the surface of telemedicine very, very quickly during this episode, but hopefully you'll find it useful, even just some of the common terms, so you understand what devices we can use and in what context. But if you've got any questions or any comments about what we've covered, or you've got any personal experience that you'd like to contribute to the platform, we can mention it either on social media or on the next podcast. Feel free to send the ideas and anecdotes across on the social media platform on the Rescue Expedition Disaster Facebook or Instagram. And the upcoming RedMed book, which is just about to go to publication, is full of more information and specifics and all the core details on each device. Um, we also talk about risk management, safety, medicine in remote areas, expedition medicine, close protection operations, 
disaster medicine, ultrasound, bites and stings, humanitarian operations, and much, much more. So watch out for that. It's going to be published in the next month or so, and it's going to be offered on social media at a discount, first come, first served. So wherever you listen from in the world, stay safe, and we'll speak soon. Take care.